Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, and today I will not be discussing the latest and increasingly ridiculous developments in the Robbie versus G-Man cheating allegation scandal Jack 4 heard round the world ridiculousness. I can't, you guys, I just, I can't with it anymore. It's like people are doing nine hour YouTube streams where they're investigating and talking to everyone. People are, it's just, it's gotten too much. It's a bit of a circus at this point. It reminds me of the O.J. Simpson trial or similar, maybe the Johnny Depp trial if you're too young to remember O.J. back in the 90s. But look, uh, we have other things to discuss. I've been playing quite a bit on America's Card Room and I have a few hands from a PKO that I did pretty well in the other night. Uh, We also have some news about something they're doing at one of my favorite places to play, the Wynn Hotel and Casino in fabulous Las Vegas. They have updated the uh, satellite format there in a way that I think could actually change the satellite world forever and possibly re- result in yet another book for our friend Dara O'Kearney. <laughs> anyway, uh, what they're doing now is called a Milestone satellite. So as it turns out, there are now two ways to win a seat in a satellite at the win. And they're starting this right now uh, with their fall classic series or whatever they, they call it, the thing they do in October at the win. So you buy in for your satellite and it's roughly one in 10 end up getting a seat where normally the only way to get a seat is to be one of the final X number of people the final 10% of the field, and all those people would collect a seat. Well, in the milestone format, you can still get your seat that way, but you can also get a seat by taking your 20,000 chip starting stack and at any time turning it into 150,000 chips or more. So if you reach that milestone, get it? That is how you can get a seat. Now, what this is going to do is it will dramatically change the way satellites are played. Gone are the days when all you have to do is just sit around and wait for everyone around you to bust so that you can eke into the money with just one chip and one chair. Instead, if players around you are trying to reach that milestone and many of them are having success, then those are seats that are not going to be available at the end of that tournament. So depending on how many people actually reach the milestone, there may very well be very few seats remaining for the typical survivors. Yeah, trying to play a satellite at the win in a uh, survivor mentality may not be the way to go anymore. A lot's going to depend on how everybody else is playing. So the strategy won't be as cut and dry as the typical satellite strategy has always been. But yeah, learning how to navigate this format 
where you can either reach a milestone or just survive to the end, I think is very interesting and it's going to make satellites go a lot faster, first of all, because certain spots will arise where it's like, well, you know, maybe I'm in a coin flip here and if all I need to do is win this coin flip and I can just be done with this satellite and have my seat into whatever event I'm trying to get into, I think for some players that's going to be very tempting and they'll go ahead and call it off with Ace-King Whereas many times in a traditional satellite, multi-table satellite format, uh, folding ace-king in that spot, depending on your stack size relative to the average, may well be correct. But yeah, rewarding people in some way for building a big stack in a satellite and then just not sitting on it and waiting for everyone else around him to bust out, I think is a great thing for the game. It's going to make satellites more fun. It's going to dramatically impact basic strategy for these satellites and i think that anytime there's a new type of poker uh format like uh whether it's the mystery bounty or the pko or now this you know milestone satellite format i think this is good for the game because obviously it's so new that there's no way it's been solved already and yeah it might be you know a tough spot like suppose there are Let's say 12 players left and five of them are getting a seat and I have 120,000 and the average stack is 75,000 and there are five seats left to get. There are several very short stacks still remaining in the final 12. Well, that, you know, that just raises so many new variables. Like, should I still go for that milestone or am I going to be able to survive my way into one of the final seats remaining at the end? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one, and it's not a simple math problem. It's a lot more complicated than that, and it will greatly depend on what strategy I think my opponents are employing. And yeah, I think it might be fun to try it. But as usual, I just want to give credit to Ryan and all the guys at The Win for always innovating and always trying new things. And I hope this really does catch on because right now, a satellite, a multi-table satellite into a major tournament is one of the worst places on earth to ever be because it's just miserable. Everyone's tanking. Everyone's, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. And well, it kind of reminds me of watching paint dry. So that's not one of my favorite activities either. I think this will liven up the satellite world. And I, for one, am very much in favor of it. I actually may be trying one of these myself as I am planning a trip to Vegas in December. I cannot miss this $15 million guaranteed tournament that they're doing as part of the World Poker Tour's 20th anniversary celebration. This is the largest guaranteed prize pool in history. And yeah, there's no chance I'm going to miss it. I will be there. I hope to finish my 2022 with a very good performance in that historic event. So let's get into some strategy here. I want to talk about this $55 PKO that I played in just this past Tuesday night. Uh, I also jumped into the Killing Bird uh, ACR Stormers home game on Tuesday night. That is the $3.30 PKO that uh, our own Derek Tenbush TPE founder Derek Tenbush uh, hosts every single Tuesday night. 
Um, but yeah, this time I did not <laughs> repeat my my winning performance of a few weeks ago, but rather I busted, I think, on the second hand that I played. So yeah, good times, but it's always fun to see everybody and uh, just to have Derek on Twitch commenting on what's going on with the uh, very important $3 home game. So yeah, that was fun, but at the same time, I was doing well in this $55 PKO with a $30,000 guarantee that they barely met by maybe five or $600. Um, before we get into hand number one from that tournament, I want to just thank those of you who have taken the time to subscribe to this podcast, to rate and review it. We now have over 105 star reviews on Spotify, or actually I don't think they are even reviews, it's just you rate from one to five, and everybody that has done the rating has given us a five, and we want to thank you for that. It might not seem like a big deal to you, but it's definitely a big deal to us because it really does help anyone who goes into Spotify and searches for poker podcasts is much more likely to find this one. The more five-star ratings we have. So that does mean a lot and we want to thank you. And of course, those of you who have rated us on other platforms such as Apple Podcasts, we really do appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. If you love this podcast, you want to keep getting this content, that is one way that you can show your love and your support for what we're doing here at Tournament Poker Edge. So let's look at the first hand that I played, this was really, really early on. Uh, in this tournament, you start with 100,000 in tournament units, and uh, the blinds in level one are 501,000 with a 150 ante per player. Uh, we are at a seven-handed table, and the action folds to hero in the cutoff, holding the king of diamonds and seven of diamonds. So before we decide whether or not to play this tournament, this is only maybe the third hand that we've been dealt in this event, but we do have a few familiar faces or at least usernames <laughs> that we recognize, uh, notably the uh, button and the small blind. Now the button is a very tight player. I expect him to not defend very often. That's odd because usually when we use the word defend, uh, we're talking about defending your blinds, but uh, I kind of learned this from Matt Berkey. I feel the button is so powerful and so important that I actually consider when the cutoff raises before me that I sometimes want to defend my button either with a call or a three bet just because position is so important in no limit. But yeah, this player that we're describing here is unlikely to do that. He's very tight and he doesn't seem to loosen up that much on the button either. So I think he's probably playing like 75 tables, so he can really only play the top 5% of hands on all those tables. So that's my guess about him. I have a lot of hands on him, and he's very, very low in all of his VPIP and PFA type of numbers. So uh, the small blind is quite the opposite. He's a loose, aggressive, regular. I assume he's a, probably a losing player because his numbers are 36 28 with 12 percent three bet over almost 500 hands so he is a, a kind of a, a wild one and i 
know what I'm up against when I enter a pot with him. It's somebody that you just kind of want to hang on, <laughs> make a pair, and then hang on for dear life. Uh, and then our big blind uh, is a, a, a reggie reg. Uh, you know, his numbers are 21, 18, 3% 3-bet, 1.2 PFA. So nothing uh, really stands out there. He's just kind of, you know, probably just a typical ACR $50 player. Nothing really jumped out at his numbers. Those are pretty standard numbers for a reg on the site. So that's who is on the left. So do we, given all that, do we want to open the King 7 suited from the cutoff? Uh, remember, it is a seven-handed table. So I decide to go ahead and raise it up. I just click it, just minimum here. I mean, you can do 2.1, 2.2, and I've seen the arguments for doing that. I find that it doesn't really make that much difference. So I just make it 2,000, opening the pot. So uh, the button folds as expected. And the small blind, three bets, and he three bets big. He makes it 8,050. So I had raised to 2K, and he makes it 8K, uh, and then the big blind folds, and the action is back on Clayton. So, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty tough sizing to handle. I don't really know if I want to put in six more blinds just to see a flop with King 7 suited against a very, very aggressive opponent. So, uh, I think folding is absolutely fine, but what I decided to do is go for the four bet. Now, ask yourself this question. Uh, I've been doing a lot of coaching with, uh, as I mentioned on previous episodes, I've been delving into the, the coaching realm and working with, you know, guys that, that kind of know what they're doing. You know, they've been playing poker for 15, 20 years, and maybe they just have never learned how to analyze their, their HUD stats as I've been learning for these last few years with the help of Jason Snost and Lost Smith. Shout out to Snost, by the way. I haven't had him on for a while. We should probably get him back on here as he was the one who really helped me learn what those numbers are and what they tell us and what they should be and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, so I've been kind of doing the same for some of my uh, quote unquote students or whatever, guys that I've been working with and coaching. And uh, one question that's come up several times with several of these students, if you will, has been, how often do you four bet without aces or kings? You know, in the modern game, it seems like the good old-fashioned pre-flop raising war has gone by the wayside. And I don't like that. I, mean, I feel like being able to put in a, a, a light four bet should be part of any balanced strategy. Now, we always talk about ace-five suited. You guys know I love ace-five suited. And the reason why I love it so much is because unless you're up against pocket aces, you will always have at least 30% equity. There's only one hand that you're really in bad shape against, I mean terrible shape against, and that's pocket aces, which you block with your ace. So that's why the solvers and the GTO bots and all the beasts who memorize the strategies that they extol uh, you know, these guys, they love that ace-five suited just as much as I do. So, but yeah, what other hands might we want to have in our four betting range? So if you're a person that never 
four bets without aces or kings, I think you're pretty easy to beat, especially in a deeper stack situation like this one. Remember, we're starting, this is the beginning of this tournament. We have 100 big blinds, and that's what pretty much everybody at the table has as well. I mean, I think one guy won a pot, so he's got like 110, and somebody lost that pot and has like 90. But yeah, otherwise, it's been like raise and take it. This is really the first flop we've even seen, I think, at this table. It's very, very early on. So what other hands do you want to have in your four batting range? I mean, I think including a suited king every once in a while. Now, I'm not saying to go crazy every time you have king seven suited, but that king is a very important card. Uh, it blocks two of the hands that should be three batting us in the first place, which are ace king and king king. So those are hands that can stand up to this four bet. And so being able to block some of their frequencies is important. And so that's why I like having a king in my hand when I do this. You can also do this, of course, with the ace five suited or really any suited ace once in a while. But the real reason I'm doing it here is because I'm exploiting a known opponent's tendency to three bet way too often. And also, he happens to be from the Russian Federation, which is where light three betting was born and raised. So here we go. We're going to go for the four bet here. And the reason why is because I don't want to be readable, but it's more because I want to punish this player's most likely error, which is three betting too often. Now, there are many players out there, maybe even you, dear listener, that won't ever flat call from the small blind. So any hand that they want to play from the small blind, they're going to come in for a three bet, especially versus a late position raise like this one. So I'm also aware of that. So that might make this four bet even more attractive because what if the guy just wants to get in there with uh, King Jack, right? He really can't call a four bet with a hand as weak as King Jack, even though we all know he's got us in terrible shape with our King 7 suited. So anyway, those are the reasons why I decide to go for the light 4-bet here. I make it 20,000 and opponent folds. So we have an open and then a pretty big 3-bet followed by a smallish 4-bet and that gets the job done. Another reason I like making a play like this very early in a tournament is it helps me control the loose aggressive player to my left. I mean, psychologically, he may f think twice, maybe next time before he just automatically three bets me when I open from the cutoff and that might make my time at this table that much easier. It's not that I'm trying to change who he is, but I am trying to make him think twice before he puts in eight blinds pre-flop versus me, because really, I mean, he's in a terrible spot here, even if he has a fairly decent hand like ace-jack. Ace-jack doesn't have to love being out of position against a four-bet. Yeah, I think I really, the more I think about this play, the more I think I like it, and especially when it exploits this player's flawed strategy in the first place. All right, let's do another hand from this $55 PKO as played this past Tuesday on ACR. Okay, I want to fast forward 
several hours uh, in the tournament. Now we are nearing the end of late registration and things have gone swimmingly for CF. I am at 600,000 chips when the average is only 240. Uh, We're in fourth place with about 120 players left. The blinds are now 3,500, 7,000 with a 1,000 ante. We're under the gun with pocket sevens at a seven-handed table. Now, because we have busted several opponents, our bounty has uh, ballooned to $48. Uh, The most bounties still in the tournament are around $15. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to talk about bounties a little bit in this hand where we are under the gun with pocket sevens. There are several players around the table with about 100,000 in chips, and that would be around 15 big blinds. We have 600,000, and no one else at this table has over 300,000. So I think we're going to play the sevens here, obviously, especially given that it's only a seven-handed table, so it's not like an under-the-gun situation even though we are under the gun. So we open to the minimum, like usual, 14,000. The player on our immediate left with 105,000 shoves. So it's under the gun raise and then second position shove. And then uh, the player on the button comes over the top for 188,000, about a third of our stack. Now, each of these players has a bounty of $15. So remember, this is a a PKO tournament with a $55 buy-in. So what do you want to do with your sevens, guys? I mean, I opened under the gun, which is pretty strong. I got shoved on and then re-shoved on. Let's talk about this. A lot of factors to consider here. Number one, it's almost a third of our stack that we would have to risk to make the call versus the second shove. Uh, Yeah, so we got to talk about these opponents. Unfortunately, guys, I don't have a lot of information on these opponents. This is a different table than the one we discussed before. I haven't been at this table for, for that long, and I only have notes on one of my opponents from previous tournaments. Everybody else, I've only seen eight hands. So that's not enough to really glean anything meaningful, uh, certainly nothing that would uh, influence my decision one way or the other. Now, if this exact scenario came up in a typical tournament that's not a bounty tournament or not a PKO, I think you can pretty comfortably fold your sevens because uh, if the first guy doesn't have you beat, and remember how strong he is shoving over the top of an under-the-gun raise with all those players still yet to act behind him, Uh, And then you've also got someone who saw the first two players go, you know, enter the pot. Now he's going all in over the top. Like I think in a typical tournament, you can, you should probably fold the sevens unless you really have a read on your opponents being exceptionally loose and taking way too many risks. Uh, But does the fact that there is now $30 in real money bounties available to collect make it worth risking one-third of my stack for the hope 
that they could both have like an ace-king type of hand, which would obviously be perfect because they have each other's outs and the sevens would be a huge favorite if they both have ace-king. But I think that's probably, we can all agree, the best case scenario. Um, what is the chance that I'm up against pocket sixes, pocket fives, you know, smaller pairs than sevens? I don't think that's going to be a big part of either one of these players' ranges, but I can't really rule it out completely, but I would discount it a lot, especially for the second shove. Uh, that guy's probably never going to be shoving with fives unless he's just really trying to gamble and go for the bounty there. But it's not like the first shover had some huge bounty. He just has a minimum bounty. So one kind of shorthand, lazy way of doing this is to just pretend that there are extra chips in the middle that are equivalent to the amount of the bounty. If the bounty prize is about a third of the buy-in, or you know, 20%, 25% of the buy-in, uh, whatever it is, you can kind of just calculate that and turn it into chips, right? So $15 is the bounty here, and that is about 30%-ish of the buy-in, uh, minus the rake, of course. So yeah, I mean, that's one way to do it. Uh, I think that those bounty dollars actually become more valuable as their scarcity increases, as those bounties get collected. But yeah, like let's discount that for now and ignore that for now. And let's just say that $15 is worth about 30000 in chips. Remember, our starting stack was 100000 So one way to do the math here would just be to add an extra 60000 in chips to this pot sort of theoretically and see how that affects the uh, pot odds we're getting obviously it's going to improve those odds but by how much you know that's one way to do it i think that in this situation it's very close between calling or folding and when i'm in a pko and i have a tough spot where i can't figure out whether to give action or fold uh you know especially if i'm still going to be uh, in an above average stack even if i happen to lose the pot so much of the prize pool is tied up in these bounties, guys. you got to try to collect them when you can. So I did make the call, and incredibly, I was up against King of Hearts, Eight of Hearts from the second position player. <laughs> I don't know if he misclicked or what. Uh, and the button had Ace of Clubs, Ten of Diamonds. So the Sevens were actually good. And perhaps the most incredible part of all is that I won the pot. So, yeah, it's hard to fade all of those outs, but I managed to do so. actually made a full house with my sevens when all is said and done and collected all the chips in the middle plus the $30 in bounties and took first place from there. So that was uh, quite an outcome for that hand. I think that in a regular tournament, I would pretty comfortably fold my sevens, but I think that the... Uh, the extra incentive to call pushed me over the edge. I want to know if you guys would have made the same call in this situation. Just because it worked out for me doesn't mean it was a good decision, of course. So what do you think? Tweet me at Clayton Comic and let me know your thoughts on this hand. And we have one more hand to review today, and it's a good one. But before I get to it, I want to talk to you about sites optimized.com. Now this is the website I've been telling you guys about. It's my friend Danny that I met in the Lucky Sevens tournament this past summer in the World Series of Poker. Great guy, really fun, 
uh, obviously a poker enthusiast if he's playing the World Series of Poker, uh, but he's a businessman. He does web design and SEO services. And lately, he tells me he's been doing a lot of work in the home services area. This is like, you know, your typical contractors, auto glass companies, plumbers, roofers, remodeling contractors. He's building websites and helping these people get more visibility in Google searches and similar searches. So yeah, if you are in that area or really any area at all, and your business is in need of a website, Danny wants you to know listeners of the TPE podcast get an exclusive special sitesoptimized.com will create a free mock-up of your existing website at no charge no obligation to buy. Love it or leave it, no pressure, nothing like that. He's one of us. He's a podcast listener. He decided to give us a try as a way for him to get the word out. And we're very lucky to have him as a sponsor. So if you are in the market for website services, SEO services, or you just want to give your business a fresh new look, visit sitesoptimized.com and tell Danny that you, like him, are a listener to the TPE podcast. All right, so let's do one more hand from this $55 PKO extravaganza on ACR. Same table, same blind level we were at before. I'm in first place, and the second place player has just moved to this table, so we are now eight-handed. We have about 800,000, and he now has about 600,000, in his stack. Well, we actually have 860 to be exact. Good for first place. We also have 60 some dollars in bounties, which is a lot considering the buy-in for this tournament is only 55 bucks. Most players uh, at this table have around 250. So the fact that the two biggest stacks in the whole tournament are at this table is noteworthy. Uh, So the second place player is in the cutoff in this hand, and off of his 600,000 stack, he opens for the minimum 14k from the cutoff. By the way, his bounty is worth $28, and the small blind, who only has 122,000, so less than 20 bigs, calls. Now, we are in the big blind holding the ace of diamonds, king of spades. So, what to do with ace king? Obviously, we can three bet, and certainly in any standard type of tournament, I would definitely be in the camp of, you know, three bet all day, every day with Ace King with this stack size. But in this tournament, uh, the value of having a really big stack and have access to everybody's bounty is so important. And why should I risk that? There are no other players at this table with even 300,000 in their stacks, and I'm sitting here with 800,000. Why do I want to get into a huge pot, potentially a huge pot, versus the only player who can really do me any significant damage? I mean, really substantial damage. He's got 75% of my stack, and if I double him up, he'll be the chip leader all of a sudden, and I will have a below average stack. So I start thinking ahead, and I say, you know what, let's be conservative here. I know I'm out of position. I know Ace King plays better all in than it does. Uh, you know, I've seen a flop when you usually miss. We get all that. But I decided to just go ahead and call 
and see a flop. So now with about 50K in the middle and the small blind, the effective stack, with only 108,000 in his stack, the flop comes queen of diamonds, eight of diamonds, six of spades. Queen eight six with two diamonds, hero holding the ace king with the ace of diamonds. Uh, the small blind checks and the action's on me. Well, it would be odd to lead. I do want to have some leads on this flop, uh, especially when I have uh, pocket sixes or a hand like eight six for two pair. I want to balance that with my flush draws and possibly a hand like seven five for an open ender. Uh, but with just the bare ace king with the ace of diamonds, I didn't really feel like this was a good spot to bet. So I made the standard play and checked over to the original Razor, the second place player, who also checks. So we're going to see a free card, still 50k in the middle. And the turn comes the king of spades. Again, the small blind checks and the action is on Clayton now holding a pair of kings. So what do we want to do? Um, we could certainly bet this card. If you want to bet this card, that doesn't bother me at all. I'm just concerned that I might not be able to get any action. So now before I was being conservative and slow playing for that reason, because I just didn't want to build a huge, a huge pot. But now that we have a pair of kings, I actually want to check it over to the other big stack and hope that he takes a shot at this pot with a hand like ace jack jack 10 i just need to protect my checking range as well so often when we check twice our opponents can just bet after that second check and just always win the pot so i think sometimes we need to check with the intention of calling to protect that checking range and to make sure that we're not so easy to beat so yeah i, I decided to check again mixing up my play a little bit here and let's see what happens the Original Razor decides to bet 16K into the 50K pot. And then the small blind, who again only has 108 in his stack at this point, decides to check raise to 39,000. Okay, that was unexpected. And what a terrible spot for Hero holding the Ace King here for top pair, top kicker. Look, I just don't know of too many players who are capable of check-raise bluffing for 40% of their stack against two opponents, both of whom have the biggest stacks in the tournament. And some of you guys might like drop your jaw at this, but I just folded. You know, I don't know what he's got. I don't know what his range is for check-raising like this rather than check-shoving, but I have a feeling it's a very, very strong range and not to mention we still have the original razor who could also easily have us beat with a hand like pocket queens or king queen something like that so yeah for all those reasons i decided just to get the hell out of there it got too muddy and you know maybe this is a pretty nitty fold by me but it's the play that i made and it also helps me preserve my big stack and get into more clearly favorable situations in future hands. Uh, unfortunately for all of us, the original Razor also folded, so we'll never know what anyone had in that hand. That'll do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. 
Always appreciate the love. Hit me up on Twitter, guys, at Clayton Comic. Let me know if you two are planning on heading out to Vegas this December and finishing off this year strong with the 15 million guaranteed WPT championship at the Wynn Hotel and Casino. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart